listening to Ohio V, the world, an Ohio history podcast. The only podcast dedicated exclusively to the history of the Buckeye State. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate and review us. Join the conversation now at Facebook. Now, here's your host, Alex Hasty. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Season 5 preview for Ohio v. The World, the world's only Ohio history podcast. And Season 5 is going to be entirely devoted to Ohio and the presidency. It's the presidential election year, and we will look at the eight presidents from the state of Ohio, Ohio known as the mother of presidents, tied for the most uh, presidents to ever come from one state. And we will look also at different issues and different, uh, whether it's the campaign moments here in Ohio debates, conventions, the first ladies, uh, even look at some of the contenders, the failed presidential candidates from the state of Ohio. Uh, and we will be with you every other Sunday beginning on May 10th. May 10th will be William McKinley versus the world, my favorite Ohio president. And we will be talking with a number of people. Every episode will have multiple guests, somewhere between three and I think even six guests on some episodes. Uh, McKinley will be a two-part episode. James Garfield, our second episode on May 24th, also Sunday, so you recall we release every other Sunday, will also be a two-part episode, and there might be a couple more down the line as well. We hope everyone's doing okay. You know, it's a crazy, historic time that we're living through, uh, this coronavirus outbreak, the tragic death of tens of thousands of Americans, and the response, you know, the stay-at-home orders. It's been bad for business. It's been bad for people's health. It's been very good for global warming. And and really, our podcast are the only upsides I see. Anyone we've reached out to, we've reached out to best-selling authors about all these different topics, some of our favorite guests from the past, and new guests. Uh, everyone's down to talk. They've got the time as well. And this will be one of our, uh, certainly our most scholastic endeavor that we've ever done. It will be a deep dive into these presidents. I mean, anyone who makes it and wins a national election to become president of the United States deserves our attention and deserves me to, to give the most honest and the best representation of their story. Uh, on the preview today, we're going to talk about what's coming up this year. Like I said, we have eight presidents from Ohio. We will talk about all of their uh, presidencies, how they got there, and really going to do our utmost to, to be the definitive, at least podcast record of these Ohio presidents and Ohio presidential history. With the amount of research we've done and the level of guests that we're bringing in for this season, uh, we're really confident that this is going to be our best season ever. But there's also a ton of presidential history in Ohio. We'll talk about Lincoln in Ohio, FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, Obama. We'll also talk about some of the worst presidents as well. Andrew Johnson, for sure. We're going to talk with the guys from the 1865 podcast, one of my favorite uh, history podcasts from the last year. Fantastic uh, podcast from the folks at Wondery. Uh, other bad presidents, you know, you have Buchanan, man, the 15th president before Lincoln, really bad. We'll talk with Robert Strauss, who wrote the book Worst Period, President Period Ever, period. Uh, Martin Van Buren, Jimmy Carter, all the worst of the worst will be mentioned as well. You know, four of the eight presidents to die in office came from Ohio. Half of the, of the uh, presidents from Ohio of the eight died and half of the presidents to ever die in office came from the Buckeye State. We're a little cursed when it comes to that. 
the most consequential president from Ohio, who was assassinated in 1901, was our 25th president. Our first episode on May 10th will be about William McKinley from Canton, Ohio. He's always rated higher than most uh, Ohio presidents, but he's never really in the top 10. But there's, you can't tell me that there's, there's 10 presidents who had a bigger impact on the United States than the McKinley presidency. We talked with Robert Mary, uh, Robert, who wrote the book President McKinley, The Architect of the American Century, uh, just about William McKinley, why he's always been overlooked. Many historians have acknowledged that, yes, big things happened during the McKinley presidency. Um, we acquired Hawaii, which was a huge strategic move. We fought and won the Spanish-American War in three months. We acquired uh, territories overseas, really for the first time, became an empire. Uh, all those things uh, took place, and that was, that was all very huge. Um, and yet uh, McKinley doesn't very often get full credit for what happened on his own watch. And the thesis seems to be, and I call it the leaf in the wind, that he was, in fact, the leaf in the wind, that he simply, um, that these events kind of washed over him and that he was sort of, sort of the passive recipient of forces uh, that he didn't really control and didn't really understand, and they just moved the country beyond his own leadership. I've studied the man and wrote the major biography of him, and it just simply isn't true. He he was not a flamboyant leader. He wasn't a man of force, but he was a man of, or, or, or I should say overt force, but he was a man of quiet force that always seemed to get his way and always seemed to be moving um, events in the direction that he favored. The annexation of Hawaii, uh, adding, you know, not maybe not colonies, but certainly annexing, whether it was Guam, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, most of those places minus the Philippines are still American territories today. We'll talk about the Spanish-American War and how America became a world power and set us up again for that American century that Robert Mary calls McKinley the architect of. Maybe my favorite person that was the president of the United States uh, was James Garfield from Cleveland. Uh, James Garfield was a genius, basically. I mean, he could have made an amazing president, again, assassinated 20 years before McKinley. And the story of his death is just truly tragic. We were able to talk with Candace Millard, one of the most popular historians in the country right now, known for writing the book The River of Doubt about Teddy Roosevelt's journey into the Amazon, a great book, uh, Hero of the Empire, about Winston Churchill. And we talked with her about her book from 2011, Destiny of the Republic. It was used as a basis for a, a PBS movie called Murder of a President. And Candace is just, you know, like I said, an incredible author. Uh, we can't wait to read her new book. And was so excited that she was able to sit down with us. And we talked to her just about, you know, could Garfield, who, again, gunned down in office, would he have made a great president? Yeah, I do actually think he would have made a really great president. What was interesting about him, you know, he was um, incredibly poor. He was our last president born in a log cabin. He didn't have shoes until he was four years old. You know, his mother and his brother scraped up, up enough money to give him $17 to go to school because they knew that he was so brilliant and could do really great things. And he did, you know, he... Um, he went to um, what was in the Western Reserve Eclectic Institute um, 
And when he was just a sophomore in college, so still a student, they made him a professor, an assistant professor of literature, um, mathematics, and ancient languages while he was still a student. And he um, became the president of the university when he was 26. He wrote an original proof of the Pythagorean theorem while he was in Congress. Um, he was just, he, he was an incredible classicist. He knew the entire Aeneid by heart in Latin. So you just try to imagine that in, in any um, politician today. It's just extremely, extremely rare. He was absolutely brilliant. But more than that, I think he had a heart to match his mind. You know, he, he um, hid a runaway slave. He was um, a hero in the Union Army in the Civil War. Um, he was absolutely instrumental in bringing about black suffrage. Um, Frederick Douglass stood next to him um, when he gave his inaugural address. You know, he meant so much to so many people. You know, he, he meant something to, to immigrants, to pioneers, to freed slaves, to former slave owners. I mean, he, he was bringing the country together in a way that it, it hadn't been unified since the Civil War. Mr. Garfield's been shot down, shot down, shot down. Mr. Garfield's been shot down low. In one of our early episodes, we'll talk about Ulysses S. Grant from Ohio, from Southwest Ohio, our first celebrity president, the youngest man to ever be elected president uh, until JFK. Obviously, he was a huge deal. His presidency was much maligned in the, in the decades to follow it. Uh, he was always way down in the rankings, but he's seen a major resurgence. I'm talking moving up 10, 15, 20 spots in some rankings. Um, he was really our first civil rights president, and people are starting to realize just how much uh, he tried in Reconstruction to bring about that more perfect union that Lincoln talked about. We'll focus on his youth in Ohio and his presidency, not so much on the Civil War. If you want to know about those four years in his life, uh, you know, from from his start in, in Tennessee and Illinois uh, to the surrender of Lee at Appomattox. You can get that at a number of different places. There's going to be a History Channel special this summer that'll focus on that. But we sat down with Ron White, the author of the 2016 bestseller American Ulysses, uh, to talk about why his rankings are changing, why people are looking at Ulysses S. Grant uh, much differently in a much more favorable light here in the 21st century. Now that we're taking a fresh look at Reconstruction, Grant is rising, probably first because he defends the rights of the freedmen. But then we look at other things that he did. I mean, we haven't even had a chance to talk about how he sort of set in motion a rapprochement with England. There was a strongly anti-English feeling because of the Confederate raiding ships that were birthed in ports in England. Well, he puts that in motion. So he's being reevaluated and his presidency is seen in a different light. Some of the other presidents that we're going to talk about, uh, William Henry Harrison, the first president from Ohio in 1840, who's the oldest president ever elected to a first term. Uh, gosh, it took 140 years until Reagan was elected. Um, Trump is the oldest president ever elected. He's two years older than Harrison. But we'll talk about the 1840 campaign in which Harrison was the nominee for the Whig Party. We'll talk about what is a Whig. Uh, this is before the Republicans. He takes on Martin Van Buren, the incumbent Democrat, but the campaign was really the first real modern presidential campaign uh, that we would recognize. Uh, and so much of it takes place here in Ohio. The 1840 campaign 
Harrison only lives for 31 days. So that episode will really focus more, more on that campaign, the campaign of 1840. And we'll talk to Ron Schaefer, great writer, still writing for the Washington Post, uh, wrote for the Wall Street Journal for many, many years, was their political features editor. Uh, and Ron actually grew up in Columbus, was a uh, Ohio State graduate. And we talked with Ron you know, about the 1840 campaign, really looking forward to that episode about Harrison. The campaign of Tippy Canoe and Tyler II, old Tippy Canoe, they called him. Uh, that'll be kind of in the, the front part of this season. It is the ball of rolling on for Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. And with him will be little Van Van. Also, our last president. We talked about our first president, Harrison. Our last Ohio president. It's been 100 years. Also, a very much maligned president. And that's Warren G. Harding from Marion, Ohio. Like I said, it's the 100th anniversary of his election in 1920. I'm still on the board with the Ohio History Connection, and we've been working so hard to build and to open the Warren G. Harding Presidential Library and Museum uh, that will open here in the late summer, early fall in, in Marion, Ohio. Again, Harding, someone who's been so lowly ranked in these polls, a lot of scandal following his death. Obviously, we all know about Teapot Dome. It's a giant scandal in the Veterans, uh, veterans Affairs. There, speaking of affairs, he, you know, a child out of wedlock and had affairs in the White House and leading up to his election. And we're going to try and rehab him a little bit because I gave a presentation once to the Rotary titled Warren Harding, Not the Worst President Ever? Question um, mark. And I really think he wasn't. We'll sit down with Sherry Hall from the from the Presidential Library. We'll sit down with our old guest and friend Jim Robinall, who wrote a great book called The Harding Affair on Warren G. Harding. In his three years in office, two and a half years in office, uh, he would die of a heart attack in San Francisco in 1923. Uh, got a lot of things done. And some things that we can look at 2020 uh, might be a recipe for victory for for the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden, uh, and Harding, what he called a return to normalcy. Rutherford B. Hayes, Central Ohio's only president. Everyone remembers the 2000 election. Bush v. Gore, and Florida, the hanging chads, and how we didn't know who had won for, gosh, it was over a month. It was well into December. Uh, but that had happened before, a no-clear-winner election. And it was 1876 with Rutherford B. Hayes. His victory, uh, and I use that in quotations, over Samuel Tilden, the New York governor, a Democratic candidate, it was a constitutional crisis. And again, it had to do with Florida and votes in Florida as well as in South Carolina, Louisiana, and even a few votes up in Oregon. We'll talk about that debacle, the possibility of almost another civil war igniting out of that 1876 election. And we'll also talk about his surprisingly positive presence. The Delaware, Ohio native actually did some things. Nobody really talks about Hayes' presidency. They just talk about this stolen election of 1876, which is a fascinating story, and we'll definitely cover that. But also... Uh, we'll look at his presidency in, in a new light under a new lens and, and really see what happened in those four years from episode of the season will be about William Howard Taft, the Cincinnati native. Uh, certainly our most accomplished resume for an Ohio president belongs to Taft. No, he did not get stuck in the bathtub. He was 
our heaviest president, sometimes weighing in around 320, 330 pounds. But he was also one of our most progressive presidents. He was more progressive than Theodore Roosevelt, who gets all the credit for being this trust buster. Taft busted way more trust and monopolies uh, and put more power back in the hands of the people than Theodore Roosevelt did. We'll analyze his time as the governor of the Philippines, how he uh, helped to end a bloody war between the United States and the Philippines, much like our Iraq war today. Taft was sent there to pacify that war and successfully did. His years as Secretary of War under Roosevelt, his friendship with Roosevelt, and his election in 1908. We'll also look at the betrayal of his best friend Theodore Roosevelt that cost Taft a second term as president in 1912 and the chance to be a great president, a two-term president. Uh, that was the subject of an episode this season on Race for the White House on CNN. Uh, go back and look that episode up from 1912. They did a great job. And also, you know, this is a guy who was, for a decade, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Incredible person, often overlooked. He's in between Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson in World War I. And Taft, those four years of Taft's presidency are often overlooked, but a lot of very consequential things happened. Our final president, Benjamin Harrison. That's a president that we share with Indiana. He's Indiana's only president and technically lived in Indianapolis when he was elected. Uh, but he's born in Ohio, raised in Ohio, a graduate uh, of Miami University, grew up in Cincinnati. He married an Oxford, Ohio girl, uh, Caroline Harrison. It's kind of the original merger when two people from Miami get married. It's called a merger. Harrison is a presidency that I had literally no idea about. He's one of the most forgotten presidents along with Millard Fillmore, John Tyler, but we found some really great stuff in there. Um, we found some good people to talk to. The man became the president and a lot of consequential things happened during those four years from 1889 to 1893. We'll talk about Benjamin Harrison, the great, the grandson of William Henry Harrison. There are five other episodes we're going to talk about that are all really fun. They'll be sprinkled in uh, throughout the season. We'll look at the First Ladies of Ohio. Not enough female history in some of these presidencies, uh, and they really couldn't vote until the very last president we'll talk about uh, in Warren Harding in 1920. But we'll talk about the role women played even as early as that 1840 election. The Carnival campaign that we're going to be talking about, Tippy Canoe and Tyler too, with William Henry Harrison playing a role with the Whig Party. And we're going to do our best to share the events and roles of women, African Americans, and Native Americans uh, that are too often left out of these American histories. When we talk about the presidents, we'll also be talking about the time period, the context in which these presidents uh, were in the White House. I think that's very important. And looking at not just the the normal you know textbook version of, of everything that happened. We'll look at it through a few other lenses throughout the year. Uh, we've got four or five guests on all these shows. We're going to look at the history of presidential debates. We're going to share our top five debate moments. We're going to look at two debates that have taken place in Ohio, the only two that ever have happened in the Buckeye State. Another episode will be Ohio versus uh, conventions. There have been six major party political conventions in Ohio. We'll look at all of them, uh, and we'll do that in August, just before the Democratic National and, and Republican RNC camp, uh, convention. Very intrigued to see how those are going to look this summer as they try and revamp the, the convention that we're used to. But we'll look at, you know, from James Buchanan's nomination in Cincinnati in 1856 all the way to the nomination of Donald Trump in 2016 in Cleveland. 
Like I said, there's a total of six conventions. We'll look at them. Speaking of the, the very first president to be nominated from you know a convention in Ohio, James Buchanan. Uh, we talked with Robert Strauss, a uh, really funny guy from Philadelphia. Uh, Buchanan's a Pennsylvanian. Strauss was the author of Worst Period, President Period, Ever Period. A funny look and, and a great history book about the presidency and the failings of James Buchanan, widely considered to be the worst president ever. During our interview, Robert told me a story of a letter that Lincoln received from Buchanan that really just shows just how oblivious he was to the problems in the country in the Civil War, which the country fell into thanks to his presidency. It's the morning after the Battle of Ball's Bluff, and Lincoln gets this letter from Buchanan, and it's another Union defeat at Ball's Bluff, and he's lost a congressman friend of him has, has been killed in the battle. It's a real low point for the Union. Uh, it's clear now that the war is going not going to be over in a couple of months, that it could drag on for years, and that the, the nation could be split in two permanently. Lincoln sees this letter from Buchanan. I can just see him thinking, oh, opening it with excitement. Maybe it's, you know, he has some sort of insight. He, he was a president for four years. Maybe it's even just kind words. But Robert tells the story of what was in that letter and how pointless it was day after or the same day as one of his best friends, a former senator, the representative he knew from uh, from Oregon, dies in battle, the only the only sitting congressman ever to die in battle. And and he and so he's destroyed and, and you know, he opens his letter and it's a letter from Buchanan asking for some books he left in the White House, you know, that were valuable to him or something. And you know, say hello to Mrs. Mrs. Lincoln, you're at it. And it was and they're like, if you could, I, it's, it's like, leave him on the doorstep and my friend will pick him up and bring him to me in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I live. Or I, I remember the, it, the exact way he wanted him to come. But it was about these books, you know, so it, it completely oblivious to the Civil War, for God's sakes. Another one of those worst presidents ever that we'll talk about was Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson, who's the 17th president following the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, uh, such an important time and not a great time to have a bad president, but that's exactly what happened to America. And many can say that it's set back civil rights and race relations in this country by, gosh, maybe 100 years. One of my favorite interviews we've done this season uh, was with the creators, writers, and directors, uh, Eric Archella and Stephen Walter of 1865. Very popular, millions of downloads on this uh, podcast and audio drama about John Wilkes Booth and the time period following the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, the presidency of Andrew Johnson. Uh, just a fantastic uh, podcast that some friends have pointed me out to. Go check it out. It's from the folks at Wondery. Uh, again, Eric and, and Stephen joined us and, and go find their podcast, 1865. But we talked about a campaign event. It's called the Swing Around the Circles, actually a tour that Johnson goes on to try and raise support for his presidency and his, his platforms. Uh, and an event in Cleveland, Ohio. He went to Cleveland and Toledo and Cincinnati, um, among other places. But just a disaster it was. And was Johnson the worst president ever? Are we talking about excluding modern-day presidents? <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. Um, yes, excluding, uh, excluding the 21st oh. century. Okay, excluding the 21st century, I would say... Buchanan is definitely down there. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and then I know Steve has personal feelings about Jackson. Um, yeah. But I would say, to me, I think uh, Johnson's the worst. 
I think um, specifically just because of what he was handed and what he left. I do want to say though, Very. if I if I sound a little off today, it's because this morning I injected some bleach uh, into my <laughs> and I and I uh, I gargled with a Tide pod. So I don't know if my brain is functioning properly at the moment. But you gotta you gotta let it get down there in the lungs. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> it actually began in Cleveland, uh, September third. He gave a speech, and there was a heckler in the crowd who riled the crowd against him. It, it finally culminated when the person in the crowd said, hang Jeff Davis. And Johnson yelled back, why don't you hate Thad Stevens? And um, yeah. so, again, directly attacking Congress and calling them treasonous and saying they should be hung. One of the papers after the Cleveland incident said it was the most disgraceful speech ever delivered by a president of the United States and said the president of the United States cannot enter upon an exchange of epithets with the brawling of a mob without seriously compromising his official character. He attacked the legitimacy of the 39th Congress. He attacked the lawfulness of the recently ratified 14th Amendment. Um, you know, he was uh, incoherent and rambling, and it was an embarrassment. Um, actually, what, what's interesting is that when Johnson goes on this tour uh, to drum up support uh, for the Democrats in the midterms, but also to position himself for re-election. By the way, in 1866, he's out there campaigning for the election of 1868, which yeah. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody. <laughs> but he actually, he actually to, to drum up popular support, he brings along another Ohio man with him. Um, he brings along a, a man from, I believe, Point Pleasant, Ohio, named General Ulysses S. Grant. Like he's out, Grant's there to like work up the crowd and get people excited because Johnson wanted big crowds and he doubted his ability to draw those big crowds. So he brings Grant along because, of course, Grant is the hero of the Civil War and Grant is extremely popular. Um, Grant doesn't love Johnson, though, and when he gets out there on the road with him, he's mortified. He wrote a letter to his wife, and he said, I have never been so tired of anything before as I have been with the political stump speeches of Mr. Johnson. I look upon them as a national disgrace. We talked with the political analyst from the Virginia Center for Politics, Kyle Kondek, who's actually our first guest. He was on one of our very first episodes talking about his book, The Bellwether why Ohio picks the president. He'll be in multiple episodes this year. Great guy, an OU grad, Cleveland native, um, and again, very plugged into the political scene, running the uh, crystal ball uh, through Larry Sabato in the, in the Virginia Center for Politics. See those guys on C-SPAN and CNN and MSNBC and even Fox all the time. Uh, we'll even talk to him. Uh, Kyle was in attendance at the 2016 Trump Convention in Cleveland, the Republican uh, National Convention. And we talked to him just about the feeling there, the feeling in, in what was then called Quicken Loans Arena. I was able to bring my dad and my brother to the final night to see Trump's speech because we had some extra um, passes. And uh, so th and they were, you know, they had never been to a convention before. And so they were just like really thrilled to be there. Um, and so I, I was with them to watch the president's or the, the then candidate Trump's speech. And um, it, I just thought it was like very dark. <laughs> I mean, it was very, uh, you know, usually the, these convention speeches are um, kind of um, hopeful and forward looking. Yeah. And, and Trump's definitely was not, although, you know, I think that, that probably there was some appeal there in his sort of criticism of what was going on. Uh, but it was just a, it was just kind of a weird. It's hard to describe just sort of a weird mood in the arena. Mm. 
look at the failed candidates, the contenders for the presidency from Ohio, those who tried and failed to reach the White House. And we'll look at why Ohio hasn't had a president-elect um, in 100 years, since 1920 in Warren Harding. Great campaign moments also. Uh, Ohio versus the campaign trail. Campaign moments in Ohio. Uh, from the first visit by President Monroe in 1817, we'll sit down with a friend, special assistant to President Obama, my buddy Mike O'Neill. He's going to talk about President Obama's uh, two campaigns in Ohio in 08 and 2012. Um, we'll look at the giants like Lincoln when he came to Ohio multiple times. FDR, who relied on Ohio for his elections, will play some of his speeches that took place here in the Buckeye State. Theodore Roosevelt as well, and announcing his 1912 campaign against Taft and Wilson from Cleveland, Ohio. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to campaign moments, but I don't know if I've ever laughed as much as I did in a podcast interview as I did with Mike, talking about you know the Obama campaigns in Ohio, his role, uh, and spent a lot of his campaign time here in Ohio. He's a native of Defiance, Ohio. Uh, and we were talking about some events that happened in Defiance in, in both those elections. Uh, and he pointed me to an event involving Mitt Romney in Defiance, Ohio, uh, side by side with Meatloaf. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just play the clip. John McCain went there uh, in 2008, and then Mitt Romney came to Defiance, came to our football stadium. Um, and it was he and Meatloaf, um, along with, I think, Brooks of Brooks and Dunn, uh, came no to a Dunn, rally. Just Brooks. Was it? Yeah, it was, you know, I don't think there was anything going on, but I think it was just easier for Brooks. But um, yeah, he came to a, they came to a rally. And if you Google that, um, they sing God Bless America, I believe, and Meatloaf just wails on it i mean he starts to go he starts to riff a little bit on it sure and, as he and, does and mitt romney looks pretty uncomfortable <laughs> uh i i highly recommend uh playing a, a clip of that if you can awful go google that video it's worth it we're gonna have a lot of fun and you're gonna learn a lot about ohio a lot about the presidency um, that you didn't know before and maybe we'll help take your mind off this terribleness that's going on out there with all these illnesses and the collapse of our economy and so many of us dealing with being out of work this is a historic time we're living through and usually living through historic times is not fun um, we've spent our coronavirus creating this deep dive into the presidency uh, because it is an election year, and we're going to be with you, you know, starting again on May 10th with William McKinley versus the world, all the way through Election Day. Our book recommendation today. Nothing to do with presidents, 
uh, just something we were reading over the break. Read The Great Influenza, the story of the deadliest pandemic in history by John Barry. A book came out in 2005, an incredible history focusing on uh, the American experience during the, the great flu epidemic of 1918. And like we say so much on this show, history can be used as a guide. Uh, and there's a lot in this book that we can use. Again, The Great Influenza by John Barry. So thanks for listening to the Season 5 preview. Again, you can always reach us at ohiovtheworld at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast. So important. Uh, hit that little button on, on your phone and subscribe, and you'll get every show, and it really helps bump us up the rankings. And thank you so much. We're really looking forward to this year. Uh, it's going to be fun, and we can't wait to, to hear from all you guys. Stay healthy, be well, and we'll see you uh, this summer. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.